podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 29th of July. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, access RTE player outside of the Republic of Ireland if you want to watch the GAA, access BBC iPlayer outside of the UK if you want to watch their coverage of the Olympics. LibertyShield.com also keeps your data safe when you're online. So check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN and you'll get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk And finally, we're brought to you by the EPL Index shop, which you can check out now on Etsy. So download the Etsy app. Search EPL Index Shop if you're a Man City fan or a Chelsea fan. There's a lot of stuff there, a lot of merchandise celebrating your recent successes. If you're a Liverpool fan, there is the Anfield Index Shop also on Etsy. You can check that out there just by downloading the Etsy app. Right, folks. Okay, so um, we've got some news. We've got questions from Discord and we have gossip. So we've got a full show today to get through. But we do start... On a sad note, Andrew Devine passed away on Tuesday. Now, for those that don't know, Andrew Devine is a Hillsborough survivor who was caught in the crush. His chest was crushed. He was without oxygen for a prolonged period of time. He was not expected to make it through the night. He was told, his family were told, there's little to no chance he lives more than eight years. He went on to live 32 years post-Hillsborough. He spent that time unable to eat solid foods, confined to a wheelchair, unable to communicate, but he survived for 32 long years. Credit to his family, who dedicated their lives to giving him the best possible quality of life. He passed away, sadly, on Tuesday at the age of 55. The coroner has revealed deemed his death unlawful. So he now is the 97th fatality of the Hillsborough tragedy. Uh, Andrew Devine, thoughts with his family. May you rest in peace. Uh, To move on to more happy things uh, for West Ham United, looks like they are close to signing... PSG goalkeeper Alphonse Ariola on a season-long loan with a view to a permanent move. They had obviously tried to buy Sam Johnston last last month, was turned down. I think they're getting a far better goalkeeper here. Ariola is levels above Johnston. I think he's substantially better than Fabianski as well. I think this is a big upgrade for West Ham. He had a really good season with Fulham last year. He's obviously played for PSG for a long time. He was on loan at Real Madrid for a little while as backup to Thibaut Courtois. He is a very, very good goalkeeper. 
He hasn't quite reached the elite level that was expected of him. But at 28, he still has time to, to get a little bit better. Um, he has three French caps. I think he will get more. Now, I think Mike Magnon will be the successor to Hugo Lloris as the French goalkeeper. But Ariola, I expect to make regular appearances in the French squad moving forward if he's playing regularly for West Ham in the Premier League and in Europa League. I think it's a really good signing for them. Really, really good signing. Credit to West Ham if they get that one across the line. Um, the BBC want you to know that they believe Raphael Varane makes Manchester United title contenders. And their logic behind this, Virgil van Dijk and Ruben Diaz made Liverpool and Man City title contenders. To be really clear, City were title contenders long before Ruben Diaz arrived. Ruben Diaz was not a transformative player. Virgil van Dijk was a transformative player. Rafael Varane is not a transformative player. Not at this point in his career. Four years ago, absolutely. He's been described as a Rolls Royce. I mean, he is. He is that type of player. Hugely naturally gifted. Game comes very easily to him. Rarely looks flustered. It's been described as an absolute bargain at 34 million. And again, at 34 million, I think the price for the transfer is very, very good. However, 34 million is not the cost of the Raphael Varane deal because you're going to be talking 10 to 15 million in agent fees, a 10 to 15 million signing fee, and 20 grand a year. Sorry, 20 million a year in wages, bonuses, and image rights. So the overall cost of the deal is going to be very expensive for United. A four-year contract with an option for a fifth, which they will most likely end up taking up. That's 100 million to Varane, plus 10 to 15 million in a signing bonus. And then, like I say, you're looking at Sim close the gap. City likely overtake them if they get either of the deals they want done, Grealish or Kane, and obviously will vastly eclipse them if uh, they get both. I don't know what Chelsea will do yet, though. Kunde is going to be expensive if they get that one across the line, and there'll be further deals to come. So you'd imagine Chelsea end the summer close to United, if not past United. Tottenham at 255 are next. It's strange that they've spent so much money considering how poor they've become. They're looking at having, you know, a bit of a go at things this summer. Uh, these are obviously gross spend, not net spend. Um, Spurs looks like they're trying to obviously bring in Christian Romero and Tamiyasu. That's probably 60 million between the two. So that'll push them well over the 300 million mark plus whatever else they do. Arsenal at 243 doesn't include Ben White, doesn't include the likely deal for Aaron Ramsdale. That'll push them well over the 300 million mark. And then you have Liverpool. 119 million pounds spent in the same period. 119. Now United's net spend is over 300. Cities is, is Cities is about 200. I think Chelsea's is like 120, somewhere around that. Could be even less. Liverpool's is 20 million. Liverpool's net spend over the last five transfer windows is 20 million, four million a window. So 
they they don't live in the same world as these other clubs in terms of spending, which is is shameful on the owners. Um, really, really shameful on the owners that they're not willing to put forward the same type of money. And I hear all the arguments that they're financially responsible and all this kind of stuff. But the bottom line is that you play football to win. The club exists to win trophies. doesn't exist to have a nice balance sheet. So put up or shut up. Make sure the signing's done this summer. Um, moving on. Wayne Rooney has apologised over pictures taken at a hotel, which obviously he was reported or suggested to have reported to the police. And then the police said, well, we haven't heard about this. Um, he has apologised to his family and the club after images of him were shared online. The photos appeared to show Rooney asleep in a chair with a woman posing beside him. Uh, a complaint of blackmail was made in relation to the photographs, but dropped by the police on Tuesday with officers satisfied no offence had taken place. I made a mistake, said Rooney. Speaking to Sky Sports following his side's 1-0 friendly win over Real Betis, he added, I went to a private party with two friends of mine, and from me, I'd like to apologise to my family and the club for the images which were going around, and I want to move, fo move forward on this. It's dealt with. I'm looking forward to moving forward and preparing for another game on Sunday. Um, Wayne, the only thing I can really say to you at this point is you're almost 36, mate. At some point, you need to cop yourself on. At some point, you have to grow up. You man-child. Celtic are out of the Champions League, defeated 2-1 by Mittelland last night. They fall out 3-2 on aggregate. Also going out, Galatasaray, Rapid Vienna, Mura of Slovenia, Zalgiris of Lithuania, HJK Helsinki of Finland, obviously, Lincoln Red Imps, the mighty Lincoln Red Imps of Gibraltar, um, Kerat of Kazakhstan, Nefti Baku of Azerbaijan, Alish Kurt of Armenia, Flora of Estonia, Slovan Bratislava of Slovakia, and Omonia of Cyprus. They are all out. Dinamo Zagreb, Young Boys, Legia Warsaw, Sheriff Tiraspol, Olympiakos, Red Star Belgrade, Cluj, Malmo, Ferenc Farosh, Ludogorets, Sparta Prague, Mitteljand and PSV Eindhoven all through to the third qualifying round. There is, of course, two paths at the moment, Champions Path and League Path. In the Champions Path, in that third qualifying round, we will have Dinamo Zagreb against Legia Warsaw, Cluj against Young Boys, Olympiakos against Ludogorets, Red Star Belgrade against Sheriff Tiraspol, Malmo against Rangers, Farinkvarosh against Slavia Prague, and in the league path, it's PSV Eindhoven against Mitteljand, Spartak Moscow against Benfica, Genk against Shakhtar Donetsk, and Sparta Prague against Monaco. That's those are two-legged affairs to be played, the third and fourth for the first leg of August, and then the tenth of August for all the second leg games. The draw for the playoff round, which will follow this, uh, will take place on the 2nd. And I think the games are scheduled for the 17th. I could be wrong on that, but I do think it is the 17th. Um, 
there'll obviously be six teams go through in the champions path and Red Bull Salzburg will await them. Sorry, there'll be, yeah, six teams go through. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg and Bronby will await them in the uh, champions path. Those teams are already through. I think it's too much. I have to say, I think there's too many teams in the Champions League. Um, even before the first qualifying round, there was a preliminary, preliminary round. That's a hard word to say. Um, those games took place on the 22nd of June. So we're already over a month into the Champions League. With respect, the three games in the preliminary round were two semi-finals between Folgar of San Marino and Pristina of Kosovo and HB Torshaven of the Faroe Islands and Interclub de Scaldes of Andorra. Those are the four teams that went into the prelims. None of them were ever going to qualify for the Champions League. None of them. You look through the teams in the first qualifying round, again, none of them were going. So why are we going through this exercise? Why can't they just go into the Europa Conference League? They're going to end up there anyway. That's what that competition largely is made up of, of teams that fall out of these. Why do we waste time with these meaningless exercises? It takes away pre-season from a lot of these clubs as well. It is a nonsense. It is a nonsense. Um, I'm glad in a way that Celtic are out because it will save me the pain of watching them get walloped by PSV Eindhoven. Um, moving on. The Olympics. The quarterfinals are set. We will have Japan against New Zealand, Spain against the Ivory Coast, South Korea against Mexico, and Brazil against Egypt. Argentina out, very disappointing. They had one of the best squads in the tournament, but them and Australia both go out. Egypt, somewhat surprisingly, go through having beaten Australia. Uh, Germany and Saudi Arabia go out of Group D. Brazil and Ivory Coast, obviously the two, two qualifiers there. Romania and Honduras, don't think any surprise in either of them going home. Um... And then obviously France out, South Africa out. The French are a big disappointment, but when you saw their squad, it's not really a surprise. Uh, they were thoroughly walloped by Japan 4-0. The second time in three games they conceded four. Kubo once again looking like a star, making quite the name for himself in this competition. Um, I think a lot of people will will be in on him. Moving forward, and Lee Kang-in, who I also said was one to watch, he scored for South Korea. Um, though uh, Huang, who plays for Bordeaux now, previously of um, Gamba Osaka, he scored a hat-trick in that game. Uh, very, very impressive performance. The Olympics have been fun. They really have. They're Like I said before, they're a lot better than watching preseason because... Nobody should really want to watch preseason. It is, it's awful, genuinely awful. Um, last bit of news then before we move on. Bobby Duncan is set to move on 
from Derby County. Now, for those that don't know Bobby Duncan, he is a young player who was in the Man City Academy. He's Stephen Gerrard's cousin. He left the Man City Academy to join the Liverpool Academy. Basically forced his way out of City to join Liverpool. Basically didn't play for a year. Spent a year at Liverpool and then forced his way out there. Went to Fiorentina. Was demanding first-team football, basically. Uh, things at Fiorentina did not go well. He went to Derby. The hope was that he and Rooney would have a relationship that could be developed. Um, and now he, he is forcing his way out of Derby. Uh, he was due to go to Velge Bowl Club in Denmark. Um, that deal fell apart. Who knows why? Likely down to finances. Because I think the fee was very small or potentially could have been a free. Uh, but he has not returned to Derby County and continues to insist that he will not be back, that he is um he doesn't feel that the under twenty three level is good enough for him, basically. He thinks he's good enough to play first team football. Um a very egotistical young man and at twenty years of age, he is spoiling what could have been a very, very promising career. Now whether or not it's down to him or those around him, I don't know. But Bobby Duncan is becoming an example of what not to do as a young player, how not to carry yourself as a young player. Uh, right, we're on to Discord questions. Uh, we have a few of them here. So uh, I think I missed one from a previous week. Okay. Uh, Pim Taradox asked this one for last week and I missed it. Is it easier to tweak the system we have and find a quality number nine or finding a Salah replacement in the 4-3-3? I think it's probably easier to move Salah to the number nine position and buy a replacement to come in on the right-hand side. Because... Salah will still get you the goals through the middle. I think he might even get you more goals through the middle. So what you're looking to replace is, say, Firmino's goals, which is, you know, 8 to 12 a season, and then Salah's creativity. So you're looking at people like Rafinha, people like Mikel Oyarzabal, people like Federico Chiesa, those type of players. I think they're more affordable than the type of number nine Liverpool would really want in an ideal world, which is, you know, in all likelihood, your Erling Haaland's. Um, now, there is the likes of Dusan Vlahovic, um, Yusuf Ed Naziri. Those are available players. Those are players you could get for in and around 50 million. But then you just have questions of the fit. So... One of the reasons Liverpool's system has worked so well over the years is Firmino's willingness to drop deep and create space for Salah and Mane to run into. 
if you put a Haaland or a Vlahovic or an Enneziri in there, that space doesn't exist anymore. And maybe Salah's not quite as effective on the right of a three with a number nine as he is on the right of a three with basically a glorified 10 playing in the number nine position. So I think it's easier to move Salah both in terms of getting the replacement because I think there's more there's more good caliber wide forwards than there is good caliber number nines right now in my view. And I also think you still get the best of Salah playing him through the middle as a nine with a Rafinha or a Chiesa or an Oyarzabal wide than you do if you play a, a real number nine and then Salah on the right. So yeah. I think I, I, that's my view on it anyway. Um, Lubo asks, if you looked at the best countries in the Euros, say the ones who made it to the final eight, who was the best player by country not invited to the respective national team who you think should have been there? I.e., who was the best English player who got snubbed? And could have maybe contributed if called up. I want to say Trent, but he got hurt, so maybe somebody else. Uh, for Spain, it was clearly Iago Aspas. The great Iago Aspas, corner-taking expert. Um, Trent, obviously, he did get called up, then he got hurt. Um, so we'll, we'll go through the last eight. So the last eight was Switzerland, Spain, Belgium, Italy, Czech Republic, Denmark, Ukraine, and England. I would say for Switzerland, I think Andy Zakiri, the young striker at Brighton, because I think they could have done with an extra goal threat in open play. And he's a good finisher. He was in the pre-tournament squad when they were allowed to call up a few more players for the training camp. He would be the one I would say that can feel most hard done by from the, the Swiss contingent. Um, for the Spaniards, hmm. Asensio. It has to be Asensio, I think. Um, super talented player. He's obviously had some injury problems that have held him back, but He's a, a real game changer, and I don't think Spain had enough in that regard. I don't think they had anyone that could really just win them a game out of nothing. And despite some inconsistencies, Asensio, to me, is, is a match winner. He is capable of brilliance. Now, like I said, the injuries have held him back badly. He had an inconsistent season in eighteen nineteen, missed then most of nineteen twenty with a knee injury. Last season, he looked heading back towards his best. But, I mean, his first two seasons with, with Real Madrid, he was very, very good um, and was on his way to becoming a superstar. But, you know, different things happen at Real Madrid. Players don't always develop the way they, they probably should develop. For Belgium... I would say Yari Vacheron, the young midfielder from Anderlecht. Um, I really like him. He's a really inventive player. Takes up great positions. Super clever. Um, good movement. Good pass through the ball. Has added some goals to his game. I would go for him. 
Aurel Mangala of Stuttgart, the holding midfielder, he's another one, though, that's worth consideration because they were heavily reliant on Axel Witzel as the holding midfielder, and he wasn't always fit. Like, he was coming back off an Achilles tear. There's no way he's at 100%. So maybe Mangala would have made more sense just as a bit of cover for Witzel. Um, in terms of Italy, I mean, Lorenzo Pellegrini would have been an obvious one, but he was in the squad and had to pull out through injury. Zaniolo wasn't back in time. So he wasn't snubbed, he just wasn't fit. Um... It's very hard to criticise the team that won the competition for any of the selections made. I'll go Luca Pellegrini, young left-back, owned by Juventus, has spent the last two seasons on loan, one with Cagliari, one with Genoa. I do like him. Guy suggests Moise Keane, and and Moise Keane definitely had a good season last year with PSG. But, I mean, they had Immobile, they had Bellotti, Instead of Pellegrini, they brought Emerson Palmieri, who was dreadful in the competition. So I'll go Luca Pellegrini. Uh, For the Czechs, then, not overly familiar with a lot of these players, I have to say. I know that Adam Karabesh of Sparta Prague is super highly rated. Teammate of Adam Hozek. And they've come through the academy at the same time now. Lozic's a little bit further ahead in his advancement, in his development. More of a an every-game starter. But what I saw of Karabich last season, he did impress me. So I'll say him. I think it would have been good to bring him maybe, if for no other reason than just the experience of the competition, I think could have helped him and the national team in the long run. So that's, that's who I'll go with. Uh, the Danes then, I mean... Uh, Again, don't know some of these players. I do like Rasmus Christensen, but he, he hasn't even been capped yet. Um, Philip Billing, maybe? Oh, you know who I'll go with? I'll go Andreas Dreyer of Mitteljand. I, I do like him. I think he's a good player. Um, played well in the Champions League last season. Former Brighton player. Uh, plays right wing or left wing. Yeah, I'll go Andreas Dreyer. I think he's got a big move in him. Not not maybe to like a top, top club, but I think he can go and play in a top five league. For example, if if Mikkel Darmsgaard leaves uh, Mitteljan, or leaves Sampdoria this summer, I think Sampdoria should call Mitteljan for him. Um, the Ukraine, I think it's Kovalenko. I think he's who I'd go with, Victor Kovalenko of Atalanta. Now, I don't know if he was injured. Maybe that's why he missed out. But I would go for him. I think he's a quality player. He's had a tough enough time the last couple of years with some injuries and a contract dispute with Shakhtar Donetsk, which held him back. He moved to Atalanta in January for 700 grand, bargain price. He'll be a a good player for them, I think. Good all-round midfielder can be creative, can score you some goals, um, works very, very hard, and a good organiser in the middle of the park as well. So uh, I'll go Victor Kovalenko for um, for the Ukraine. 
And then for England. I think Dad, excuse me, I think Danny Ings can consider himself unfortunate. Um, but he did have a number of injuries last season. He wasn't as good last season as the season before. I think Ben Godfrey can feel very hard done by that Ben White got picked ahead of him, that Connor Cody got picked ahead of him. But the one I think was snubbed the most is Ezri Konza, who last season was the best English centre-back in the Premier League. He outplayed Stones, he outplayed Maguire, and even if those two were going to be the starters, Konza should have been the third centre-back, brought levels and levels above Tyron Mings, who he carried up and down the field all the last season. Connor Cody, who's just not a good defender. He can also fill in at right back. He's perfect in the back three. Ezri Konza, I think, I think he could have contributed quite a lot because we saw England play a back three in a number of games. And I think if it had been Konza, Stones, Maguire with Walker as the wing back, I think it would have even, it would have been even better than the Walker at right centre back, Trippier at right wing back thing. I think, I think Ezri Konza could have contributed heavily. Um, like I say, I think Zakiri would have offered a goal threat for Switzerland. Asensio would have offered a match winner for Spain. Uh, Mangala would have offered good cover for Witzel for Belgium. Karabic, it's more about what he can learn from it and what it will give them long term. Dreyer, I think, is just another good wide player who can come in, score you a goal, create a goal. I think that would have helped Denmark. Luca Pellegrini would have just met no Emerson Palmieri, which I think helps everybody. Uh, Ukraine at times just looked a little bit ramshackle in midfield, and I think Kovalenko could have helped that. And then, like I said, I think I think Konza just would have upped the level of the, the centre-backs in the England squad. So that's who I would go with there. Um, Brian X, Sporting CP, offer you the chance to sign. Nuno Mendes... Pedro Concalves, Paulinha, or Daniel Bracanga? Bracanga? Braganga? I sorry, but don't know your name. Um right. Who would I take? So I do like Paulinha. He's a very good defensive midfielder, but Liverpool already have Fabinho. So I don't think it's necessarily one that makes a whole lot of sense. Nuno Mendes is maybe the best young left back in the world, the biggest prospect in that position. Liverpool already have Robertson, already have Simicus. I don't know that spending that kind of money on a left back would be a clever decision. Now, if you'd said Pedro Porro, I know they don't own him yet, but it looks like they will buy him next summer. I might take him because I do like Pedro Porro. I love those two as fullbacks or wingbacks is one of the most entertaining combinations you'll see anywhere in Europe. Porro on the right, uh, Mendes on the left. Um, so I'd rule, I'd rule out Mendes, I'd rule out Paulinha. Braganka is what I'm going to call him, is very talented. Very, very good on the ball. But he's quite lightweight. He's undersized. 
I think he'd struggle in the Premier League, if I'm being honest. I think he's very talented, but I do think he would struggle in the Premier League. Pedro Concalves, I do really like. I think he is a huge, huge talent. Now, the other name I really like from Sporting, currently gone on loan, I think. I think they've loaned him out for next season, um, is Eduardo Caresma, the young centre-back. I do really like him. Um, so he'd be one I'd consider. But of those you mentioned, uh, Concalves for sure. Goal-scoring attacker, can play as an eight, can play either side of the front three. Sensational season last year. 23 goals in 32 games in the league as Sporting went on to win the title. Yeah, I'd go for him. I would go for him. I think he adds quite a bit to the Liverpool team, to be honest. If Liverpool can't get the likes of Chiesa done this summer, I think Concalves makes a lot of sense. He's someone I'd strongly consider. Um, right, Mr. Ecker. With big teams in need to sell because of low cash flow, I have several questions related to the topic. What was the closest window in terms of big teams selling big players at the same time? I... I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I, I can't think of one where you've got three of the biggest clubs in the world in Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus, who are all in a disgraceful state financially. Now, we're well used to Real and Barca being in a major mess financially. This has been an ongoing thing for probably 40 years with both clubs, where they dig themselves a big hole, and then somehow they managed to climb out of it. Real, it's because the government has often helped them out. Barca, however they get their money, washing it through China or whatever. Um, But I don't... Like, Juve are normally a model of how to run a football club. They're normally bulletproof financially, and they've made an absolute hames of things. So I don't think there's been many's the time we've seen as many big clubs been open to selling big-time players. I think this is a first. What would be the most surprising move this window because of this? I spoke to Carl Matchett earlier today, and we were messing about Liverpool going to Barcelona at the end of the transfer window and saying, look, give us Frankie de Jong, here's 70 million. I think that, it, like, I don't think Liverpool will do it, but... I could see I could see somebody taking a punt on Frankie late in the window and saying to Barca, look, here's an enormous bag of money, this whatever, eighty million in it. It's for Frankie. And maybe Barca would do it because they'll be in such a flap because they need to get a bunch of money in and get a bunch of money off the wage bill so they can re-sign Messi. And then sign, you know, register all the players that they've got brought in this summer. Aguero, Depay, uh, Emerson Royale and, and Eric Garcia. Something like that. It would surprise me, but I still think it's in play. Um, Mr. Ecker again, who do you think will be the big... Oh, this is the same... Sorry, this is the same question. Who do you think will be the bigger, 
the big winners and biggest losers when the window closes across Europe. In terms of big winners, I think United can consider themselves winners, for sure. Um, I think PSG have had a really good window so far. Don't like the Ramos signing, but Hakimi and Donnarumma and Ginny Wijnaldum are all great signings. Um, in terms of biggest losers, I think Barca, because I think they had ideas originally about doing stuff this summer, maybe stuff that didn't involve Messi, uh, and now they're tied to a five-year contract with him. Juventus, one way or another, I think are going to end up as losers of this window. Inter Milan are going to be big losers of this window because they've sold Hakimi, they can't really replace him, and I think they're going to have to sell one more, one more big-time player. So, like other winners, I think, you know, if Spurs get Tamiyasu and Romero across the line and if they can keep Kane, I think you'd have to put them in the winner's column. If Chelsea get Kunde and one more in, maybe that midfielder that they need, I think, you know, you'd mark them down as winners. Um, we don't know yet what Liverpool are going to do. We, you know, Neil Jones in the, in goal today suggesting that next summer is decided horse, horse manure, absolute horse manure. Um, I, biggest losers, I think, will be the, be Barca, Juve, and Inter Milan. I think they're the biggest losers. I think the biggest winner might be PSG, though. Hakimi is game changing. Donnarumma is generational. And I love Ginny Wijnaldum. I, and I think he works with anybody. I think you put him with, like, say, Verratti. And even if Marquinhos has to go back and play in holding midfield, I think that three works. Um, Pima Taradox, how do City set up if they get Kane and Grealish? They're going to have to get the most out of out of them. Is there any formation they can both fit in well? Kane works in a 4-3-3, a 4-2-3-1, a box midfield with a front two, because you can play him and Sterling as a two, and they've already got great chemistry. Kane is the easier fit. Now, if it was me, I wouldn't be spending that type of money on a 28-year-old with bad ankles. But he's he's guaranteed goals, there's no doubt. You, you, they'll have to slightly alter how they play. But they already, like Pep already altered how he wanted to play for Aguero. So I don't see him having an issue doing that for Kane. Grealish, to me, doesn't make sense for City. Really, really doesn't make sense for City. Like, if you play 4-3-3, the only place you can play him is left wing. And Raheem Sterling is much better than him in that role. If you play 4-2-3-1, you can play him as the 10, but they've got Kevin De Bruyne, who's much better than him. So the only other place you can play him is left wing. Now, I... Would probably prefer Grealish to Sterling as a left winger in a 4-2-3-1. Play Sterling on the right, let him play a little bit narrow. But the idea of Grealish and Cancelo as your right wing, as your left flank, it just opens it up for teams to attack you then that side. 
absolutely opens it up. There's been talk that he could play as a number eight. We've seen it for Villa. He can't. Now, it's different, I suppose, with City, where you have 75% of the ball. But, I mean, Gundogan's better than him. Bernardo Silva is better than him, certainly as a number eight. I would rather have Phil Foden as a number eight than Jack Grealish. I just don't see the logic in signing Jack Grealish. That's not what City need. What City need is a Leroy Sané replacement. That ties in with a question I actually have from, from Guy Drinkle. How do you replace Leroy Sané? Who is the Leroy Sané replacement that they could buy? When you look at what Sané brought, it was that burning pace and ability to stretch the play vertically and horizontally from the left wing. In the 4-3-3, starting out as the left-sided forward, and flexing out to being a left winger in a glorified 4-4-2, where Kevin De Bruyne would move from the right side centre midfield role out to the right wing and leave Fernandinho and David Silva as basically a two-man midfield. His ability to beat players, the fact that he could go on the outside and naturally get cutbacks and crosses in, not having to cut back onto his right hand, his right foot or anything like that. That's what Sane brought to that City team. He, at the time, I, I, before his knee injury, for me, he was the best left winger in the league. He was borderline world class, absolutely sensational. And City were pretty close to unstoppable when they had that setup. De Bruyne, Fernandinho and Silva in a three-man midfield, Sterling, Aguero, Sané, three-man attack, 4-3-3, and it would flex in-game to 4-4-2. Sterling would move centrally to play with Aguero as a two-man strike force, and Silva and Fernandinho would form a, a two-man centre midfield. And they were pretty much unstoppable. You knew what they were going to do. You just couldn't stop them doing it. Because you couldn't go man-to-man with them at all. Because De Bruyne would destroy you, or Silva would destroy you, or Sané would destroy you. Aguero and Sterling, you can't leave them 1v1. They were strong at the back, largely in part because they had so much of the ball, they had very little defending to do, but they also had company leading them through at the back. So for me, what City need to do is go back to playing more like that. Find yourself a Leroy Sané replacement. The issue is there are not many left-footed left-wingers anymore. Most lefties want to play on the right or they're coached to play on the right. They're developed to play on the right and right-footers are developed to play on the left because everybody has fallen in love with the idea of inverted wingers and overlapping fullbacks. Don't know why. I blame Wenger. Actually, it goes back. The earliest example of an inverted winger I can think of is probably Andres Limpar of Arsenal back in like the late 80s, early 90s. Merson on the right, Limpar on the left. But it became popular when Robert Perez was doing it uh, for Arsenal. And you had David Ginola, or David Ginola as well, right-footed left winger, he was doing it. I can only assume that the French popularised it. Uh, Henri played a lot of his early football on the left as well, obviously, as a, as a right-footer. 
So you're basically looking to buy someone who has predominantly played on the right and move them across. Now, they currently own Bernardo Silva, who's left-footed, plays in the right, but it, he's not a fit in that role. Mares could do it. I don't think he would be the best at it. I think you'd lose a lot of what makes Mares uh, such a quality player by moving him across. Mares, another one I think is better than Grealish, and I would rather have than Grealish. So, again, I, I just don't understand this move by City. I think someone like Chuck Wesey would be the answer. From Villarreal, Nigerian international, left-footed, plays right wing, lightning quick, but hasn't really developed in the last two years, I would say. Unai Emery doesn't seem to like him very much. Who knows why? Emery's a weird man. But I think if you got Chuck Wesey, you simplified his game by moving him back to the left and telling him, just beat your man and get the ball across. Beat your man, but not beat your man running straight down the touchline. That's not what Sané would do. What Sané would do is he'd pick the ball up, and he'd start driving towards the goal. And then he'd beat his man on the outside. But he would also have he would also have a gap there for a fullback, like Benjamin Mendy was bought to play, to run in. That helped him. But I think if you could get Chuck Wazey, in now, you could probably mould him into that same type of player. Leon Bailey could be an option, but he's not. Bailey's more of a shoot-first kind of guy. You want someone who is more of a facilitator than a goal scorer. Um, young Diaby at Leverkusen would be a better fit than than, than Bailey. Diaby and Chuck Wazy are probably the two best options. I would lean Chuck Wazy. I think there's a little bit more potential with him. Um, Dell asks hypothetically speaking if and it is a big if Liverpool are able to sign Saul Niguez and Federico Chiesa along with Ibrahima Kanate would you classify this window as the best since Aldridge Barnes and Beardsley is there another you can think of um, Essence, Aldridge, Barnes, and Beardsley. I think the summer of 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, summer 2007, Liverpool signed Fernando Torres, Ryan Babel, and they made the Mascherano deal permanent. That was a really... Well, Babel didn't obviously work out, but he was a huge, huge talent at the time. He was seen as, you know... He was seen as the next Henri. There's, there's no way around it. That's what he was tagged as. He's the next Henri. Didn't work out, obviously. But that's in part because Benitez insisted on playing him as a left winger rather than the left-sided forward in a three. Whereas you watched him play for the Netherlands, he played as a left-sided forward in a three and was unbelievably good. Um, and I wouldn't mind. Liverpool had Coit, who also played on the right of a three for the Netherlands. They could have played 4-3-3. They could have gone Gerard, Alonso, Mascherano was a midfield three. Gerard as an eight, Mascherano was a kind of destroying eight and let Alonso sit in front of the defence and do his thing. And played Coit narrow, Babel narrow, and Torres through the middle. 
I think it was Klaas Jan Huntelaar was the nine for the Netherlands at the time. That Netherlands front three were great. Torres was better than Huntelaar. I think that would have worked brilliantly, but it didn't anyway. Um, however, Liverpool lose major points that summer. Major points. Because number one, they they went on to sign... They, they signed Lucas Leiva. Like, they, they, they signed Lucas Leiva. That's what they did. They signed Lucas Leiva. So you, you're losing points for me, um, massively. Uh, you 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 force Lucas Leva into my life, and uh, I don't forgive you for that. So yes, I would say it probably is. It probably is the best window since Beardsley, Barnes, Aldridge. I'm having a tough time thinking of a better one, to be honest. Like, there was a bunch of summers when I was a kid where, you know, things got very, very exciting. Liverpool signed some huge, huge players. Like, 95, they signed Collymore and McAteer. And they were the two to get that summer. McAteer had come up with Bolton, and him and John Stubbs were like, just really exciting players. Now, John Stubbs obviously, unfortunately, ended up at Everton for a long time, but you, everybody, everybody wanted those two, and then Collymore was a big, big prize. He'd had a sensational season with Forrest. There was a lot of top English strikers around at the time, and you know, Newcastle signed Ferdinand, United signed Andy Cole, but we got Collymore, and we thought we got the best one, and we were all excited, and then obviously it you know, didn't really work out. Um... 94, we signed John Scales from Wimbledon, who'd had a great season the year before. And we signed Phil Babb, who had been a star at the World Cup, an absolute star. But we all forgot to factor in that Paul McGrath was carrying him up and down the field. We signed Babb and Scales uh, on back-to-back days. I remember... I started back to primary school. I think it would have been, I would have been going into the final year of primary school, sixth class. And secondary schools hadn't started yet. And my good mate, John Paul Cullen, who um, passed away a few years ago, he was waiting for me at the gate of the school to tell me the news that we signed John Scales. And uh, and the delight we had was that Neil Ruddock wasn't going to be in the team anymore. And then Roy Evans went and played a back three of Scales, Ruddock and Bab. Um, so, yeah, I mean, swings and roundabouts. Um, yeah, I, I would say I would say it's the be- it would be the best window since then. I, it's a 10 out of 10 window. There's no, no ifs, ands or buts. Uh, Tom James, what's your favorite ever Liverpool home and away shirt? My favourite home shirt is the candy shirt. Oh, there's a, the crown paints one I love with the stripe. What year was that? Was that like eighty six? Eighty five, eighty six. My favourite shirt is probably the eighty nine. 
candy with the like the speckle through it. I love that kit. Um, the eighty six eighty seven crown paints one though is lovely. I'll go with the eighty nine uh, candy one with the the kind of speckle through. If you remember, we had the silver away, uh, but I love that home kit. Favorite away kit might be a controversial one. Do you remember the the one that was like green and white, but like it was the top right was green, the bottom left was green, the top right was white, the bottom. You know that one that I'm talking about. Um, that's probably my favorite away kit. It had that grandfather type collar. I'd go for that one. And then my favorite third kit, if you want that as well, the uh, the 86 yellow. Um, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, what year is that That other kit from? Fowl. You, you'll remember images of Fowler wearing it. Uh, one of the least favorites is that dreadful thing with the the white stripes coming up. What I think it was six, no. We did have some rough kits over the years. It has to be said. The thing with the massive collar was an absolute shocker. Wasn't it a was it a Reebok one? Oh, this is shocking. I can't think what year that's from. Hmm. I can't think what year it's from. But I know it exists because I still have it in the right. Fowler, McAteer, McManaman were are wearing it in this picture here. It's the '96 away kit. That's what it is. It's the 1996 away kit. Carlsberg, made by Adidas. Three stripes on the shoulder. Grandfather collar. Uh, green top right, white top left, and then flipped at the bottom. Green shorts. That's the one. The the '96 away kit. That's. My favourite away kit. Might even be my favourite ever Liverpool kit. Um, hopefully that's not too unpopular. Um, YNWA foodie. If Liverpool don't sign anyone and say next year will be the big summer transfer, who do you think they will buy? Let's say Haaland and Mbappe are not available as they've signed with other teams. If Liverpool don't sign anybody and say next summer is the summer, then it's just garbage it's garbage they're not going to sign a big player next summer either but let's let's say that they do um next summer if we take this year's needs into next summer and we go we go big Jeff Felix I think he'd be a possibility And in midfield, 
if they need to raise money, Federico Valverde could be the one from Real. I think he's a very clock midfielder. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll say those two, but but I just I don't believe it. I don't believe for a second that eyes are on next summer. I think that's Liverpool basically trying to put it out in the media. We don't have much money while they try and do deals, but uh, I I think they'll get business done this summer. Um, Owen Hurley, we've got Kanate. If the rumors are true and we get Seoul and Chiesa over the line, where would you rank this in the list of our best transfer windows ever? Um, what does it say for the next big summer? Um, I think it would be the best summer since Beardsley, Barnes, Aldridge. But we won't know if it's better than that until we see them play in, in Liverpool Red. Because obviously, Barnes and Beardsley were transcendent players for a number of years. Aldridge scored goals galore until Rush decided he wanted to come back. And Aldridge was surplus to requirements and was was sold off to Real Sociedad. Um, but those three performed. We we need to see, obviously, you know, if we get these three, we need to see them perform. Um, in terms of the, I, again, I I just don't ever buy that Liverpool are going to do this big splurge. They did it once, two thousand and eighteen. They brought in Allison, Fabinho, Shakiri, and Naby Keita. Uh, the deal that had been agreed the previous summer, but they had sold Coutinho. Obviously, they bought Virgil that that January as well. So that that was a big splurge that year. Uh, I see. The thing is, they don't need to do that again. This is the thing. If you look at Liverpool squad, Allison's got a long time ahead of him. He's still quite young. Trent is only twenty two. Be twenty three in October. Still young. Kanate's 21, so loads of runway. Virgil is 30, but I still think he's got four or five years ahead of him. Robbo, probably three really, really good years, and then maybe, you know, a, a couple of decent ones left. So you don't really need to go out and address any of the back five. Same goes with Fab at holding midfield. I think he's 27, but the way he plays, I think he'll be fine for the three, four years. You bring in Saul, he's 26 going 27, he's fine for three, four years. Thiago's 30, but again, I mean, doesn't need, he doesn't, he doesn't play for pace or anything like that. He just reads the game brilliantly and he's miles ahead of everybody else in terms of intelligence. And the front three, I think Salah, I think the only one, the only, if, if you get Chiesa, you'll have Chiesa and Salah for four or five years. Mane would be the one to replace. And maybe you'd start planning for when Virgil goes, when Thiago goes. But, I mean, how much money are you going to spend on a player to develop for two to three or four years? Maybe you go to Bayer Leverkusen, you buy Florian Wirtz. And you say to them, look, we'll we'll buy him. We'll loan him back for you for, to you for a year. Then you bring him in and he sits behind Thiago for a year and learns from him. I think then he takes over maybe and it's his first year as a starter. Thiago becomes more of a squad player. You could do that. Don't really know what you'd do at centre-back. I mean, I think I don't think Liverpool will do that. I think they'll hold off. 
Verts and a Mane replacement would be what I'd see. That's that year. But that Mane replacement could be like Jeremy Doku. So that's not going to be a mega money sign. It might be 50, 60 million. It's not going to be 100 million. But um, I, I just don't see this big summer thing being true. I think that's just... I think it's just nonsense fed to journalists who are too willing to accept nonsense from the club because they don't do their jobs properly. Your job is to report on the club, not be a cheerleader or a puppet for the club. Um, Isaac Gilding, a couple of times recently you've mentioned the possibility of Haaland and Mbappe ending up at Real Madrid. This would be terrible and we'd all hate it. I, I do agree with that. However, the squad has some... Issues. Both of their first-choice centre-backs are going. Aging or past the players littered everywhere in the squad, Modric, Hazard, Isco, etc. The fact that some of the young players have flattered to deceive, Rodrigo and Vinicius, that's fair. Carlo is not the manager he used to be, that's also very fair. Plus the fact literally everyone is for sale because the club has been so badly run. Will Real have a squad of players worthy of playing behind Haaland and Mbappe? And realistically, what do you think it would look like? Will they even compete in European competition as they're not dropping the ESL thing? Right. Excuse me. So, let's take a look at the Real Madrid squad as currently it stands. Goalkeeper, Courtois is world class. And I really like Andre Lunen. Now, Courtois is 29, so still plenty of years ahead of him. Lunen is 22. He'll learn a ton from Courtois. They can loan him out if need be to keep, continue to get him experience. But I think they're set in goal long term. So that's fine. I like Ferland Mendy. I think he's very talented. I think he's a good left back. So I think that's left back uh, sorted. I think they'll be absolutely fine in that regard. They obviously will want a backup, but you'll find a backup left back. You develop a backup left back. You've got Miguel Gutierrez. Maybe you just keep him around and develop him. They've signed Alaba. He can play left back as well, obviously. Now, for me, and again, this is just me, I think I'd consider going three at the back. Alaba as the left side centre back Eder Melitao as the right-side centre-back. Now, what I need, then, is a central centre-back. So that's one big need. Mendy as a left-wing-back, I'm absolutely happy with. Don't love their right-back options. Audrey Azola is, is very talented, though. He hasn't really developed at Real, but he is still only 25. He's very attack-minded. He is a former winger that got converted by Sociedad. So maybe as a wing back, in a back three system, you get more out of him. Um, Don't think wing back would suit Danny Carvial a lot, but it would suit Lucas Vasquez as a backup, another former winger. Carvial maybe can be a backup centre back. I know he's short, he's only like 5'9". But so was Aspilicueta, and he, he got by fine in the Premier League, which is far more difficult aerially. You'll still have Nacho. You still have, um, what is the fellow's name? Uh, Varejo. You, Vallejo. Vallejo. Jesus Vallejo. You still have him. So centre-backs, I think you've got depth. You just need that one starter. 
I think you can get by with the fullbacks you have. They're not great, but Audrey Zola is a is a good player. Mendy is is very good. I think those would be fine. Casemiro's twenty eight, I think twenty nine. But again, I think his game will age really well. I don't think he's close to being past that. I think he's smack bang in the middle of his prime. Next to him, I think you stick Fede Valverde. I think that's the midfield partnership long term. Not if, next four to five years. I know they have Tony Cruz. I know he's come out and said, I'd like to stay here long term. I think you have to have a conversation with him and let him know that's not really an option. We're going to have to move you on, I'm afraid. Um, Modric will retire next summer. I think that's the pairing, though. Valverde and Casemiro as a two. And then I think you gamble on Marco Asensio getting back to the the level he showed a few years back as your number 10. You've got Renier, who's super talented. He's going to be on loan next season at Dortmund. He's a 10 by nature as well. If he develops, he becomes your 10 if Asensio doesn't, uh, doesn't get the job done. And then you play the two boys up front, Haaland and Mbappe. I think you've got a lot of players you'll want rid of, though. You will want rid of, like I said, Cruz. I think you want definitely want rid of Hazard. Um, I think you want rid of Marcelo. You want rid of Isco. Without question, you want rid of Isco. Um, I think Vinicius and Rodrigo you can keep because they can play in the front two. I think you could maybe work on one of them playing as a 10. If you wanted a shift shape, you could play them as wingers in a 4-4-2 or either side of either striker in a 4-3-3 or one of them and the other two in a 4-3-3. So I think you keep both of those. I think you keep um, Martin Odegaard and maybe he can be your 10. You give him an opportunity at least to show he can be. Luka Jovic, I think you keep and you have him as the backup to Haaland. Um, Danny Ceballos, you, you ship off as quickly as you can. They do own Kubo, who I mentioned earlier, who's super talented, like immensely talented. And again, maybe he can be your number 10. Maybe you can develop him into that role. I wouldn't be so quick to write off Madrid. Their squad's not great, but it's not terrible. And they've got a productive academy. Victor Chust is another decent young defender. Aribas, Marvin, and Blanco are all solid midfield options. Blanco is a defensive midfielder. Marvin, uh, Marvin Parkett is, he was obviously a Tranmere at one point, uh, kind of can play more attacking roles. I think he also could play in a center midfield role. Um, I wouldn't be so quick to write them off. I think the big thing for them is to get rid of high-earning, underperforming players like Hazard, like Marcelo, like Isco, and then the players who are a little bit past their best in Cruz and quite a bit past the best in Modric, still tremendous players. And Gareth Bale, obviously, you ship out, but he, he'll be gone by next summer anyway. 
His wages should cover Mbappe's wages. Um, I wouldn't be so quick to write them off. I, I The squad's not great, but realistically, if they bought one really good centre-back on top of those two, I, I think that's formidable. I really do. Like, who that centre-back would be, I don't know. Let's just say, for example, Juventus panic because of their finances and decide to sell Delict, And Real go, you know what, we'll jump on that. We'll make that move right now. We'll jump on it. We'll buy Delict from them. And they buy him this summer because Juventus need to sell. And you've got a back three of Militao, Delict, and Alaba. That is really, really good. Audrey Azola and Mendy, not bad at all. It's not it's not Trent and Robbo. It's not Kimmich and Davies. But it's not bad. Like, it's better than most teams have. You've got Casemiro. You've got Valverde. That's a really good pairing. Really, really good pairing. Then one of Asensio, Odegaard, Kubo, Vinicius maybe. One of them as your 10 and the two boys up front when they arrive. That's To me, that's a Champions League winning team. Couple of holes in the squad, no question. You'd, you'd need to make sure you could find that backup left back. Uh, you might want to bring in one more decent squad centre back. Um, maybe another body in midfield, another quality midfielder. But in, in attack, if I've got Haaland and Mbappe and Asensio, say, behind them, and my backups are the likes of Odegaard, Renier, uh, Vinicius, Rodrigo, and Luka Jovic. I don't know who's got a better attack than that. I don't know who's not just the starters, but that's really good depth as well. Those players may not always have worked well at Real Madrid, but that doesn't mean they won't always work well at Real Madrid. It doesn't mean that someone else can't go in and turn that ship around and start putting an emphasis on youth, start putting an emphasis on development of young players. So I wouldn't rule them out. I wouldn't I wouldn't write them off. Look, you put those two boys, you could pick nine lads from your local park and put them with Haaland and Mbappe and they're beating two thirds of teams around Europe. Just with those two. So they've got players to sell. They can save a ton of wages just by getting off of the likes of Isco, Marcelo, Modric in a year, Hazard, even if they, they take a big loss. It, look, for me, if I was just to say, look, let's just clear the decks here. You'll find a club to pay Hazard's wages if you give him up for, even on a free, as mad as it sounds, even on a free. You'll find a club who'll take him because he's still a big name. And they'll pay his wages if they're not paying a fee. So you you can find ways to get rid of these players. And there's still a lot of quality there. They're a lot closer to being a real problem for a long time than, say, Barcelona. 
or Juventus. Um, I think that is all the questions. We'll quickly run through the gossip. Paris Saint-Germain have opened initial discussions to gauge Paul Pogba's interest in joining them from United either this summer or next when he will be available on a free transfer. United are readying themselves of an offer for, for an offer from PSG and will want around $45 million. They'll want back what they paid for Varane. I think that's the money they were basically spending. Arsenal are offering Hector Pellerin in part exchange for Latour Martinez. Uh, this is from the great football insider. Uh, so it is trash. Um, again, I'd imagine you'd hear the laughter from Milan echoing all over the world. Chelsea have been linked with Bayern Munich and Poland striker Robert Lewandowski, but the German club's president says he won't be leaving. I think he's at a contract next summer, though. So, you know, he'll be, if he doesn't go, if he doesn't sign a new deal, he'll be a nice runners-up prize for somebody who fails to get Haaland. Uh, Arsenal will need to bid at least 70 million to sign a chance, stand a chance of getting James Madison. I don't think they will. I think 55 probably gets it done this summer. Aston Villa have offered 25.5 million for Leon Bailey, but Bayer Leverkusen want 30 million. If, if Villa are bidding for him, I think Villa will get him. Spurs are looking to sign Dusan Vlahovic from Fiorentina, who would command a fee of about 50 million. Um, if they buy him, they're selling Kane. Just be clear on that. They're not signing him to play with Kane, they're not signing him to be a backup to Kane. If they sign Vlahovic, Kane is gone. Um, Erling Haaland and Julian Brand will remain at Borussia Dortmund this summer. I'd imagine Brand will get an opportunity under Marco Rose, and I think Rose will like him. He's a very, very talented player. Just the last few years haven't gone well for him. Ajax have confirmed that both Arsenal and Lyon have shown interest in Andre Onana, who is currently serving a ban for doping violations. There's bad wording. That's not what happened. He's he's banned, but it's not it's not a doping violation. Um, Leon, I think, is the better move for him. Uh, Arsenal are going to sign. Let's just let's just have Arsenal sign Ramsdale. Uh, Norwich are preparing a ten million pound offer for Paok Salinikas, nineteen year old Greek winger Christos Silos. Don't know who he is. Honest to God, never heard of him. Barcelona have still not agreed a new deal with Iliax Mariba. And the 18-year-old is out of contract next summer. Has attracted interest in Premier League clubs. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably ends up leaving, if I'm being honest. I I think he's going to get bigger offers from the Premier League. Aston Villa will, wet, will let Anwar Al-Ghazi leave for 15 million. 15? For Anwar Al-Ghazi? You get 10 million, you take it and you say thanks and send him out the door. Juventus are meeting with Sassuolo officials again in the hopes of completing a deal for Italy midfielder Manuel Locatelli. And they also want to sign Brazilian Ford Jorge. Jorge, I think. Um, Yeah, so Santos are having a tantrum over how Juventus are carrying themselves in this negotiation for uh, Jorge. But I think he's at a contract next summer and Juve are basically saying, look, you can take pittance or you'll get nothing when he's at a contract. Um, 
Juve Avenol was handled themselves the best anyway. Celtic have opened talks with Tottenham about Joe Hart. That is just horrendous stuff. Crystal Palace, Newcastle and Monaco are among a number of teams interested in former France under-21 international Angelo Fulgini um, of Angers. I, I, I don't know that I've ever seen him play. I know, I saw a list where he was like the second or third most fouled player in Europe last season. So I'm just going to say he's the French Jack Grealish and move on. Um, Manchester United have a transfer deal with transfer deal for Wolves Portuguese midfielder Ruben Neves reasonably far down the line. What? This is from the Express via Eurosport. Oh. Oh, never mind. I see who it's from now. So we'll just move on and uh, not pass comment. Um, Tottenham sold... Oh, we know Tottenham sold Toby Oliver. Uh, Leeds have been told they must pay £5 million for Scottish left-back Josh Doig uh, from Hibernian. They've just signed the left-back. Now, this kid is meant to be talented, but I can't say I've seen him play. Uh, he's no Aaron Hickey, I'll tell you that. Uh, Liverpool have missed out on potentially millions of pounds after losing Yasser LaRouche on a free transfer to Troyes, one of several clubs under the City Group umbrella. Uh, no, they haven't really. They, they were only going to get a million, maybe a million and a half for him. He, he's not very good. Uh, Ethan Ennis has had talks with Chelsea this summer. But the 16-year-old has has chosen Manchester United after turning down a new contract with Liverpool. He's he's a loss. He's meant to be very, very talented. But we'll wait and see. A lot of these players are very talented, very highly regarded, jump between clubs and never amount to much. Belgian striker Aaron Leahy Iseka is set to join championship side Barnsley from Toulouse after spending a year on loan at Metz. Never heard of him. Hope he does well. That's it then. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Take care and bye-bye. Podcast Network.